Turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to Psalm 25. That'll be our sermon text for this morning, Psalm 25. Uh, you may notice our, our, our service is rearranged slightly uh, because we have uh, an ordination uh, service uh, after uh, the sermon. So that's why there's no hymn right now. We're going to be singing more later in the service. Um, see, as we, as we draw near and get ready to read God's Word, let's pray together one more time. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you uh, that you speak to us in it and by it uh, and by your Holy Spirit. We pray uh, that you would give us uh, minds that are open to your truth, ears that hear, hearts that uh, understand and believe. Uh, we pray that you, would, uh, that you would guide us and lead us by your word uh, every day, but especially right now uh, as we come with our hearts open to you. Uh, pour out your spirit on us to that end, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Psalm 25. This is a psalm of David. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exalt over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love. For they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being, and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distress. Consider my affliction and my trouble, and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes. And with what violent hatred they hate me. Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. Well, this morning we elected uh, two additional elders to serve as elders on the session here of All Souls, and uh, we will ordain those two men to the office of elder uh, following the sermon. Originally, I was scheduled to preach on Psalm 88 this Sunday, uh, not knowing that we were going to ordain elders today, uh, but as you may know, Psalm 88 is a bit dark for such a celebratory occasion. <laughs> 
So I'm preaching this morning from Psalm 25. Uh, why Psalm 25? Uh, well, Psalm 25 uh, is a psalm which teaches us how to pray. Psalm 25 is actually an acrostic poem. That's one of the things you miss in translation, uh, meaning that each successive line begins with the next letter of the alphabet. You see those kinds of things, right? You've probably seen them somewhere. Uh, oftentimes they're called the, the ABCs of motherhood or something like that. You know, A is for always there and B is for believes in you. Uh, they're normally very sentimental. And, uh, and my favorites are C is for call a babysitter and, and X is for exhausted. I didn't make those up. Uh, Psalm 25 is, is like that, where verse 1 begins with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and verse 21 begins with the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Uh, verse 22, then, is actually outside uh, the acrostic poem. Uh, but actually, in doing so, the psalmist has constructed a poem where the first letters of the first, middle, and last verses, verses 1, 11, and 22, spell the Hebrew word for teach or learn. Uh, and so this is an acrostic poem meant to teach you about prayer. Uh, you can see that the Hebrew uh, children repeating, A is for to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. And B is for in you I trust. And C is for indeed none who wait for you will be put to shame and so on. I know it doesn't quite work in English, but you get the point. Uh, there's another reason for Psalm 25, and that is Psalm 25, like so many of the Psalms, is a Psalm of David. And David was a leader in Israel. Again, this morning we elected additional leaders for our church, and one of the defining marks of leadership in Scripture, as we will see, is to be prayer. A psalm about a praying leader, then, seemed fit for this occasion. Of course, before David is a leader, he is simply a follower of Yahweh, and so this psalm is for all followers of our God, all followers of Jesus, uh, but even so, it is especially for leaders in the church. Uh, and so I'm going to preach to leaders this morning. Uh, I'm specifically going to preach to Brian and Todd. Uh, no pressure, guys. Uh, now, of course, I'm also preaching to myself as I do that, and I'm preaching to David and Scott as well. And of course, I'm preaching to anyone who has any position of leadership. Uh, that, of course, means leaders in the home and leaders in the classroom and leaders in the workplace. Uh, those who are in positions of leadership and those who simply lead by example. That covers most of us. Uh, the truth is everyone in this room either is a leader or has a leader. And so even if you don't consider yourself a leader, you still need to know what, what godly leadership is all about. And so if you happen to be someone who is a leader or someone who has a leader, this sermon is for you. Uh, if you don't fit into either of those two categories, come and talk to me afterwards. <laughs> Our outline, which you can find on the back of your bulletin, uh, we see that God calls leaders to lead out of grace, on their knees, in utter dependence, and on behalf of others. Uh, those build on one another, by the way. They're not, uh, they're not so discreet. Um, out of grace, we get on our knees. And on our knees, we express our dependence. And we express our dependence as we lead on behalf of others. And so these are all related, building one after the other. So first, God calls leaders to lead out of grace. Throughout this psalm, we see that David is one who knows the steadfast love of his father. 
Never once does David doubt uh, in his relationship to God, or, or no, never once does he doubt whether God is for him. David knows who his God is. He knows God's character. He knows that God is good and upright, according to verses 7 and 8. Uh, specifically, David knows that God's goodness is for him. Uh, verse 5, you are the God of my salvation. Verses 6 and 7 and 10 talk of God's steadfast love. Now, steadfast love is committed love. It's steadfast because it is the love of one who is committed to another. God's steadfast love is, is committed or devoted love. And David knows God is committed to him. That God's love for him uh, will not change, and will not go away. Really, all of David's requests then flow out of his understanding of God's love. Uh, verse 6, remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love. Uh, verse 7, according to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. And this is key because really every aspect of the Christian life flows out of the mercy of God. Uh, this is true in the Old Testament just as much as it is in the New. Uh, so the Ten Commandments begin, uh, you may know, uh, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. That's God's mercy to his people, redeeming them from slavery in Egypt. But then there's an implied therefore, and it begins, you shall have no other gods before me. God's saving work grounds his instruction. And we have an even clearer understanding, of course, of God's steadfast love in the New Testament because of the cross and the resurrection. At the cross, the Father gave his Son for our sins, and so he is committed to his people, so committed to his people that he sent his son to die for us, that we might have forgiveness and new life. In the resurrection, of course, we see God raised Jesus from the dead. Uh, his love for his righteous son meant not abandoning his soul to the grave. And so we know that we too, if we belong to Jesus, will not be abandoned by the Father, whatever circumstances we might find ourselves in. And so in Christ, we see that God is, God is for us, ready to pardon our sins and care for our needs. This is the starting point and the foundation of the entire Christian life. God grounds his commands to us, whatever they might be, in Christ's completed work for us. Uh, as we sometimes say, the imperative is grounded in the indicative. What we are to do is grounded in what Christ has already done. Now, what happens if we get this wrong? Uh, what, what happens if a leader gets this wrong? If leaders don't lead out of an understanding of grace, what do they lead out of? How does that affect their leadership? Well, here's the first thing. If you, if you try to, to lead in any situation, right? If you're a, a husband or a mother or a small business owner and you don't know God's steadfast love for you, if you don't know God's love displayed in the cross, then leading really, it, it can become a terrifying thing. Every act of leadership becomes a referendum on my value as a person. Will I do it right? Will I make the right decision? Will I say the right thing? If I lead well, I can feel good about who I am, but if I lead poorly, I, I can spiral into a depression. See, if, if leading out of grace, uh, it, when, when leading out of grace, my value as a human being is secure, secure in the Father's love found in the cross. But if I'm leading out, uh, not leading out of grace, my work or my actions determine my value. Did I, did I do a good job here? This is what theologians call works righteousness. I'm no longer free to lead for the glory of God and, and the good of my fellow man. I have to lead to prove I'm worth it, 
to feel like I've earned my place in the world or deserve the, the love and the respect of those around me. We obviously need leaders in our church who know the grace of God, and who have experienced the grace of God, and who then live out of the grace of God as the foundation for everything else. So one, God calls leaders to lead out of grace, out of an understanding of God's mercy found in the cross. And two, God calls leaders to lead on their knees. Uh, I'm going to point out the obvious here, which is that uh, this psalm is a prayer. Right? David's words here are addressed to God. And this is only one of many prayers of David found in the book of Psalms. Uh, but what does this show us about David? David was a man who walked with the Father. He walked with God on his knees. I, I know that's mixing metaphors, but you get the point. Uh, what does that mean? Well, to walk with God means that life is lived in the presence of God, which in part means there's this ongoing dialogue, which is what we see in David. You know, if you work with someone side by side, day after day, and never talk, you, you probably don't have a great relationship. Uh, you, you're, you're not really doing life together. Uh, I know some people are quiet, but you know, in any meaningful relationship, there's still gonna be some back and forth, some dialogue. That's what we see with David, right? Whatever his circumstances, uh, whatever his circumstances, whatever's going on, David takes it to his father. In any and every circumstance, he brings his heart to his God and lays it out before him. David is a man of prayer. No matter what's going on, whether in trouble or in triumph, David goes to his God and lays out his heart. Whether he's lamenting or rejoicing, David lives before his father. Uh, it's interesting that prayer is actually the first of two functions of apostolic leadership in the New Testament. In Acts chapter 6, verse 4, you may remember, uh, they say, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Prayer even comes first there. If you're going to be a leader, especially a leader in the church, prayer must be at the heart of your leadership. Now, we'll get to just exactly why that is in a minute, but for now, just let it sink in. Right? If you are a leader, really in any capacity, right, how, how much do you pray? Are, are you praying for your leadership? Are you praying for those whom you lead? If you're a member of this church or even a regular attender of this church, let me encourage you to pray that your leaders would be men of prayer. Right? We need your prayers that we would be men of prayer. Leaders uh, will only lead on their knees, of course, if they lead out of grace. They're connected. Grace enables us to get on our knees. Uh, Jesus came to the earth to be rejected by the Father at the cross. He was cast out from the Father's presence as a sinner, that we might be welcomed into the, into the Father's presence as his children. And this engenders prayer in a couple of ways. One, it says that we are welcomed into the Father's presence. Christ, by dying for sin and rising from the dead and ascending into heaven, has opened the way for us to the Father's throne of grace. Which is why the writer of Hebrews can say, let us, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. It's because of the work of our great high priest. Two, it says that we're wanted in the Father's presence. Uh, we see the extent of, uh, th that the Father would go through to open the way to his throne of grace. Would he go through all of that to turn you away when you try to come? No, of course not. Would he go through all of that uh, to receive you reluctantly? Absolutely not. We see the Father's love in the cross, his drawing sinners to himself. The one who loves you welcomes you. 
And of course, the one who loves you and welcomes you also has the whole world in his hands. And so go to him with your cares, your concerns, your trials, your troubles. How do you lead out of grace? Well, on your knees. Draw near to the Father who loves you. And he's ready to listen. He's ready to hear. He's ready to respond. So God calls leaders to lead out of grace, on their knees, in utter dependence. Uh, I said at the start that these five points kind of build on one another. Uh, They unfold out of one another. And so leaders lead out of an understanding of grace. And out of that grace, we get on our knees and draw near to our Father. And what what do we do on our knees? Well, we express our utter dependence on our Father. Uh, Notice uh, David. There are really three main themes in this psalm that David keeps cycling through. They're woven together throughout the psalm. And all of them are expressions of David's dependence and trust. Uh, First, David trusts God for help. Uh, Look at verses 1 through 3. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exalt over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. See, David David lifts up his soul uh, to God. That's an expression of trust. It's putting his life in God's hands, as it were. He's saying, here I am, God. I'm I'm trusting you. I'm trusting my life to you. I'm trusting my soul to you. David trusts God not to let his enemies to rejoice over his downfall. Trust God to protect him in the face of trouble. David's eyes are are toward God, according to verse 15. He he looks to God for deliverance. He's not looking to human help. He's not looking to his own strength. He's not looking to his own abilities. He's looking to his God to deliver him. He knows that God is the one who will pluck his feet out of the net, that is, rescue him from troubles. David has enemies who hate him, and he asks God to guard his soul in verses 19 to 20. God, protect me from these enemies. Guard me. Keep me. Verse 21 is interesting. There David says, May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Uh, Now that could mean God's integrity and uprightness, uh, meaning David trusts God's character to preserve him, which is why then he waits for God. But actually, it could also mean David's integrity and uprightness, uh, not meaning his perfection, because he wasn't. uh, But in that case, it means it's kind of like this, right? Maybe you find yourself in a bit of trouble in life, and you find two options in front of you. The morally wrong but easy way out, and the morally upright but difficult way out. And people counsel you, right? Eh, don't, don't obey Scripture, right? That's naive here. Uh, the Bible doesn't address such difficult situations, right? You, you've got to think for yourself and, and do your own thing. Or maybe people even mock or deride how silly that you would stick with that old book, right? Uh, you, you've got to be smart if you're going to make it in this world. So friends and enemies both sometimes would have us take the immoral but easy way out in life. David is saying, I'm going to do the right thing. And that will preserve me, not because I'm thereby earning God's favor, not because God is going to reward me for my obedience or some such thing. No, but by my obedience, I express my trust in my Father. Again, verse 21, may integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. See, disobedience is always taking matters into our own hands. And obedience is an expression of our trust in our Father. When we obey in difficult circumstances, we're waiting on God to put things right. We're saying, God, I trust you. It doesn't make sense to me. This isn't what I would do. This isn't what everybody is telling me to do, but I'm going to do this because you tell me to do it, and I'm going to wait 
on you and trust you to preserve me in the midst of this. And so David in this prayer is expressing his utter dependence on God in the face of trials and difficulties. Well, how does that apply to leadership? Uh, Well, leadership has its challenges, doesn't it? There are general difficulties of leading any group of people. There's the evil one who knows that the quickest way to destroy the church is to destroy its leadership. And there's human opposition. Uh, David faced opposition. There will always be opposition to those in positions of leadership. And the question is, how will we face those difficulties? Will we, will we whine and complain when things get tough? Will we give up, pack up our bags and go home? Or will, will we dig in our heels? Will we get personally offended? Will we seek to take matters into our own hands and fight back? Or will we turn to our human resources, whatever they may be? Will we trust in our strengths, our ability to persuade Will we trust in our ability to manipulate or bully others into going our way? Or will we get on our knees and express our utter dependence upon our Father? God, I don't have what it takes to get through this. God, I need you. God, help me. It's not to say there there aren't things that we have to do to face the challenges of leadership. There is plenty to be done, but we dare not face them in our own strength but on our knees and in utter dependence on our Father. Of course, David not only trusted God for help, he also trusted God for guidance. Uh, Look at verses 4 to 5. David says, Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. David brings this up again uh, in verses 8 and 9, in verses 12 through 14. And here's what David shows by continually coming back to this theme. If he is to lead as the king of Israel, he must first be led. To be a good leader, you must first be a good follower. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. We must realize that we we don't have the wisdom necessary uh, within ourselves to lead well. This is the repeated teaching of the Bible. Uh, You see it in the book of Proverbs, right? Proverbs chapter 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. and Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. If we want our leading to go well, we must first follow the leader. Our way, what we can come up with in our own wisdom, Proverbs tells us is the way that leads to death. Uh, Twice the Proverbs say this. Proverbs 14, verse 12, and 16, verse 25, just in case you missed it the first time. uh, It says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. But the Lord instructs sinners in the way, verse 8. He leads the humble in what is right, verse 9. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness, verse 10. One who fears the Lord is instructed in in, in the way that is right. And as a result, he experiences well-being and success, according to verse 13. Uh, The point there is not that this is a recipe for your best life now, but it is this promise. Doing things God's way receives God's blessing. Do things your own way, and you're on your own. What kind of leaders do you want? Uh, You want leaders who look to God for guidance, who seek God in any and every circumstance. A leader must know his own innate folly. Sometimes we try to lead out of our own wisdom, thinking that uh, we know what needs to be known, that that we have the answers that need to be had. It's foolish. Unless we look to God and seek his face, seek his wisdom 
found in his word. So for us as elders, right, leaders in the church, we need to ask the question, will we lead trusting whatever answers we can come up with, whatever sounds good to us, or will we lead in utter dependence upon the word of God, seeking wisdom from God as we lead his church? That's where we need to be as leaders. David expressed his dependence upon God for help, for guidance, and for mercy. Look at verses 6 to 7. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. And then again, the central verse in the psalm, uh, verse 11, for your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Verse 16 begins, turn to me. And be gracious to me. Verse 18 ends, forgive all my sins. David was a man who knew his sin. He knew the greatness of his sin. Leaders are to be above reproach. That's true. That's one of the, the things listed in uh, 1 Timothy. He must be above re- uh, pro- reproach. You don't appoint someone to a position of leadership who is a notorious and unrepentant sinner. But leaders are still sinners. In fact, I think it's fair to say that leaders have greater opportunity to sin because of their position. And so David recognizes his utter dependence upon God for mercy, forgiveness, and grace. He appeals to God's steadfast love and goodness. Remember me according to your steadfast love. Have mercy on me. Forgive my sins, for it is great. What's the opposite? Well, the opposite of that would be a leader who never repents, never admits his failings, a leader who thinks he's God's gift to the world, who can do no wrong, a leader who leads as if he were untouchable, thinking that his ideas are best, his actions impeccable, his words above reproach. A leader like that is sure to cause a lot of heartache and pain among his people. A leader who thinks he has no sin is likely to be harsh and unsympathetic with the shortcomings of others. If I don't know God's patient, forgiving, gracious love for me, I'm not likely to show God's patient, forgiving grace, gracious love to others. When we know grace, we are freed up to show grace, right? When we experience the grace of God in the gospel, we can then embody that grace to those around us. We need leaders in our church who know the grace of God, who have experienced the grace of God, who live out of the grace of God as the foundation for everything else. A godly leader must know his sin and look to God's steadfast love for mercy and grace. Now, does God's help always mean a pain-free life, or uh, does his guidance always mean, uh, guidance always mean worldly success? Does his mercy always mean the consequences of our sinful actions are taken away? Well, no. Remember Jesus. He trusted in his Father, but suffered. He trusted his Father's will, but that meant going to the cross. We can expect to face troubles, We follow where our leader has led, and that means taking up our cross and following him. That means a life of trial and difficulty, but that's okay. We can face it because we know that the cross did not have the final word. Jesus rose, and so will we. Our enemies do not have the final word. Our trials will not have the final word. Even our sins will not have the final word. Jesus rose, and so will we. God will overrule whatever evil, whatever pain we experience in this life. Our job is to live out of grace on our knees in dependence on our Father, trusting our Father to help us in our challenges, to guide us in our decisions, to forgive us in our failings, 
as we lead to the best of our ability and to the glory of our God. God calls leaders to lead out of grace, on our knees, in utter dependence, and finally, on behalf of others. Uh, we tend to get leadership very wrong. I don't, know, I don't know why this happens exactly besides sin, uh, but we tend to get leadership very wrong. Uh, we think leadership means having other people serve you. You know you've arrived when other people are waiting on you hand and foot. This is not leadership at all. It's, it's a perversion of leadership. This is not leadership in the church. It's not leadership in the home. It's not leadership in, in business. It's not leadership in the political arena. Leadership is not having other people serve you. Leadership always means you serving other people. Yes, it often means you, you making decisions. But those decisions are to be made not for your own good and glory, but for the good of others and the glory of God. The final verse of this psalm actually stands outside of the acrostic, which gives it a kind of final emphasis, even an exclamation point. Verse 22 says, Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. David prays on behalf, not just of himself, but of his nation. Right? We, we lead on behalf of others. We pray on behalf of others. Uh, that's not, by the way, because religious leaders have some special access to God. Right? We, we believe in the priesthood of all believers. If you belong to Christ, you have access to the Father's throne of grace. Go there boldly. But part of our serving others is praying for them. In fact, this is even part of Jesus' present ministry. In Hebrews chapter 7, we're told that Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Now, intercession is just a fancy word for prayer. Jesus prays for us. Our king and leader is praying for us. Even in heaven, our risen Lord continues to serve us by praying for us at the Father's right hand. Jesus, the Son of Man, came uh, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He served by his incarnation. He served by his righteous life. He served by his death on the cross. But even now, he continues to serve through praying to the Father on our behalf as our great high priest, seeking our good at the Father's throne of grace. See what love Jesus has for us what selflessness, what sacrificial heart, that heart is for you. Let his burning heart of passion for his people melt your frosty heart of ice, that wherever you lead, you would do so sacrificially, seeking not your own good, but the good of others, and not using people as pawns in your own self-promotion project, but using your position as an opportunity to do good and to bless the world. God calls leaders to lead out of grace on their knees in utter dependence on behalf of others. True leadership flows out of grace, right? Not trying to prove yourself, but resting in the Father's steadfast love. True leadership is, is lived on our knees, walking with God through prayer in every aspect of life. True leadership is living in utter dependence for help, for guidance, for mercy, recognizing I don't have the resources necessary to face the troubles in front of me, but I know the one who does. And I know he is ready to help me in my time of need. True leadership is acting on behalf of others for their good. Because leadership is never about the leader, but always about the one led. If you are a leader, seek God's grace on your knees that you might bless others' independence upon Jesus. And if you're not a leader, pray for your leaders. Pray for them that they might be men of grace who live sacrificial lives of dependent prayer 
for the good of others and to the glory of God. Let's pray. Our Father, we recognize our need of you in every area of life, whether we are leading uh, in the church or the home, uh, whether we are leading as husbands or, or mothers or business owners or whatever it happens to be. Father, we need your help that we would lead those whom you have entrusted to our care well. Father, we pray that we, would, that we would lead on our knees in utter dependence upon your grace every moment, acknowledging our, our failures and our folly, seeking your forgiveness and your help. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.